Grand Touring Motorsports started as a social group of car enthusiasts, but we've expanded into all sorts of motorsports disciplines, and we want to share our stories with you. Years of racing, wrenching, and motorsports experience brings together a top-notch collection of knowledge and information through our podcast, Break Fix. Remember that show with Jeff Foxworthy, where we used to watch people show off how smart they were and if they could pass a fifth grade exam? Well, tonight, we're taking a break fix spin on that in a special called, Can You Explain It to a Third Grader? Where Mountain Man Dan squares off against automotive questions from our eight-year-old panelist, who just happens to be my daughter, Cleo. So I don't know about y'all, but I can't wait to see how this turns out. And with that, let the games begin. Okay, Mr. Dan, I've written down 11 questions about cars that I want to know. And you're going to have to answer all of them. Okay. Why do cars need motor oil? Can't they just run off electricity? That would have to deal with the fact that electricity would be an electric car and the normal internal combustion engine or diesel engines are requiring oil for lubrication because there's components inside the engines that move and without the lubrication the metal will get hot and seize up i do believe that even some of the electrical vehicles some of the components on those might require oil for lubrication as well but as i'm not very versed in electric vehicles don't hold me to that okay are you ready for the second question i am ready what part of the car breaks very easily? That could be a long list of things. So I would say a part that breaks, I would say for breaking very easily from the early to mid 80s on when they started putting a lot of plastic components in vehicles, especially like interior pieces, they break very easily. And especially with young children such as yourself, you guys... Mm. Not exactly the most gentle with interior components, so it is not uncommon for something in the interior of the vehicle to break. But did you have some specific in regards to items that break? I was thinking like something inside the car, like name one thing inside the car that could break like very easily if the car were to break down. And I would say a very common thing for cars to break down alongside the road would be something such as a belt for the engine. You know, if a belt breaks on the car, then you can lose things like your alternator, which is what gives you power, or your power steering, which makes it more difficult to turn. What do you think, Cleo? What kind of belt are you talking about? Are you, like, are you talking about the seat belt or like a different kind of belt? A different kind of belt. The belt on the car engine, there's multiple types. There's V-band, there's ribbed. Most newer cars go with the rib style, which is for a serpentine system. So basically, if you take and just make a complete loop, and that's what your belt is. It's from start to finish, it just continues. It's made of like a rubber material. Some have fiber in them, like thread type material inside of them to help make them stronger. And they've been used on cars for hundreds of years now, since the beginning. I remember it's kind of like the pattern is like up and over. It's kind of like castle walls, how they're like this, but smaller and on a circle wheel or like a circle chain. Yeah, similar. Like when you're out in the garage with your dad and you see mm-hmm. on the side of the engine, you'll see the belt there. And of course, we've got plenty of times we have the engines out of the cars there and when you're paying attention to what we're doing and not just playing and writing with chalk in the driveway and stuff, we'll be glad to point it out to you. Okay. Are you ready for question three? I think I am. What part of the car makes it stop? I'm talking about like the brake on the car. What part of the 
brake makes the car stop. Okay, so originally, one of the very original methods of brakes, and I believe it was with Mercedes when they first built the first vehicle, they used wood and leather material for the brake pads. The original versions were used with like a drum type system. It uses pressure to push out and that friction causes it to slow down. And then there's also styles where they use a brake around where it's a wheel and it will have like a strap come around it. When pressure is applied, it draws pressure on the outside of that. But with motor vehicles, it's more common to see the drum or newer vehicles from probably the late 70s, early 80s on. They have what's called a rotor and a caliper setup. And what that does is the rotor will spin and a caliper sits on it. When you push the brake pedal, it'll squeeze in on the side of it. So it's moving freely and easily. And then when you push the pedal, it'll squeeze in on it and uses hydraulic pressure to push in on that. The friction causes you to slow it down. But then there's also, other than hydraulic, on larger vehicles such as your tractor and trailers, they use air brakes. And air pressure is what actually holds the brakes disengaged. When you push the pedal, the air is released out of the valve to put pressure on. And there's also electric brakes on trailers, which it uses electromagnets to create the pressure on the shoe or the caliper to cause the friction. You heard me the three first questions. Now, I have seven more questions for you. Okay. How does the engine work in a car? Okay, so I'll go with the most common, which would be your internal combustion engine. The easiest way to explain that, which most internal combustion engines in cars are four-stroke engines, the easiest way I was taught, it's called suck, squeeze, bang, pop. The suck phase of it is where it pulls air and fuel into the cylinder. The squeeze portion is when the piston comes back up, creates compression. And the bang portion of it is when the spark plug creates ignition to ignite the fuel and air, push the cylinder back down. The pop portion is when it releases those spent exhaust fumes out through the exhaust system. So that's the more technical, but basically use combustion to make a rotating mass give you power that transfers to your transmission out to your power line in your vehicle. So what is combustion? So combustion is when something ignites and all different materials have different combustion points or flashpoints. So like fuel compared to diesel have different flashpoints. The combustion process in car engines uses the fuel, the compression, which is basically compression is just squeezing really tight. So when it squeezes that down really tight, it creates heat, which helps with the ignition process for the combustion when the spark plug ignites the fuel. Okay. Are you ready for the fifth question? I sure am. This will be a tough one. Can cars survive crashes? Depending on the extent of the crash, yes. Because many cars, when they get into crashes, and there's actually testing done, which has been done for the past few decades. Companies like Volvo and Saab were very big on the safety aspects of the crashes. So they would test and purposely use like crash test dummies in the vehicles to see how it would impact the passengers. And so they would run them into walls and other vehicles and things like that just to see what the aftermath was. What they would do in that process, they'd be able to give it a rating of how safe it was for the passengers. But most accidents that occur, uh, you know, say somebody's going down the road and a deer comes out in front and they hit a deer. A lot of times they can replace the things that got broke, such as, you know, your hood, your fenders, or even your glass and stuff. Those things can be replaced and make the car drivable again. 
Okay, let's see if you can do this. How does electricity get used in a car? Okay, so electricity in cars can be used in many different ways. With the aspect of the internal combustion engine, it is used to power your things like your lights, your horn, your radio, and even the fans and stuff for your heating and air conditioning. And especially all the actual entertainment you have sitting in the back riding down the road watching the TV and stuff, that's what powers it. And for your electric vehicles, it also uses that power to actually provide the energy to the electric motors that turn the wheels to allow you to actually drive the vehicle down the road. Mm-hmm. Where does the power come from? So whether it be an electric vehicle or an internal combustion vehicle, majority of the time, it'll initially start out in a battery. And the battery is just a cell that retains the power for you to either initially start your internal combustion engine or with your electric vehicles where it provides all the power the whole time. And then once the internal combustion engine is started, it has something either called a generator or an alternator, which most modern vehicles from the, I would say, 50s and one have alternators. That is what puts out the power to the system after it's actually up and running. And then it acts very similar to a generator, but alternators are the more modern technology of creating the power from a rotating mass. The alternator basically has a lot of copper coils in it. And then inside of that will be an armature. And as that spins, it creates essentially electromagnetic force to put power out. Okay, Mr. Dan, do people race in old-fashioned cars? Yes, they do. And there are actually leagues out there for just the purpose of racing the older vehicles still. I don't know any of the specific names of the classes or the organizations off the top of my head, but there are plenty of them out there where they'll still run like the older open-wheel cars, and even, I think they've even had some where they use some like the steam powered vehicles to race as well. A lot of those things happen. And even within other than cars and the agricultural community, people still take out their old tractors and things that are steam powered and they'll do tractor pulls and such like that using the old steam powered tractors as well as the old diesel and things like that as well. Has anyone who's driven an old fashioned race car ever won a race? <laughs> I would say yes, because normally any of those races that occur, there's always going to be a winner. Now, if those older vehicles are racing against newer cars, it's definitely more difficult for them to win the race. But most of the times they have those races, they're racing against cars that are similar in power, weight, design. So that's more of an even match for them to race against their competitors. Cleo, before we move on, I want to know what your definition of old fashioned is. Like, very old cars. Well, how old is old? I don't really know how to describe it. It's like a car that is, like, very old in years. <laughs> Do you have a specific year in mind? No, just any. Okay. <laughs> Give us a guess of a year that you consider to be an old car. I don't really know any years that there might have been, like, really old cars in. Well, the very first car was invented in the 1800s, over 100 years ago, over 120 years ago, to be exact. Did they have any really old cars in the year 1855? No, not that far back. The first cars came out in the late 1800s, right around 1896, 97, 99, in that era. Okay. 
more modern cars, what we would consider post-war cars, post-World War I cars, that's when you started to see things become more standardized, more normal. Pedals were all in the same place, steering in the same place, levers were all standardized, things like that. So that didn't happen until the later 1920s, early 1930s. That was the beginning of the more modern cars, but even those are considered now vintage and classic. Why did they call it post-born World War One? There's been several world wars. The first one started in 1914 and ended in 1918. And the second one started in 19, we'll call it 39 and ended in 1945. So there are two periods of post-war vehicles. The first is anything from basically 1919 to 1938. And then after the Second World War, 1946, until basically the mid-50s, those are still considered post-war cars. And then it kind of goes on from there. Then we enter what they call the Dolce Vita era. Then we enter the muscle car era. We enter the malaise era. And they go on and on from there as we move up through the decades until today. Okay. Thank you. Back to Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Mr. Dan. I have two more questions left for you. Can cars survive big fire? Due to the materials that cars are made out of, older cars would stand up much better to a fire than a modern day car because a lot of the older cars, and I'm talking post-war type era where they're a lot heavier gauge steel and metal, cars back then could potentially catch fire. And if it wasn't set there and just left to burn for hours where it melted or weakened the metal, they could be rebuilt. A lot of the modern cars, there's a lot of newer materials such as the plastics, composite materials, and even alloys like the aluminum alloys on wheels. Under the heat, they melt a lot faster than the metal of the older vehicles would. So depending on the era of the vehicle, I would say determines and also determines on the level of the fire because there were fires out in California when they had the massive fires raging throughout. There were cars that were burnt down to where it looked like it just a pile of molten metal because if a fire gets hot enough, it'll melt metal. You want to talk about EVs in there as well? What? What is EVs, the electric vehicles, I would say it's going to be much more dangerous for the fact that all the wiring and stuff required for the power and everything within the system, once that melts, you're going to have no power to the vehicle. So if you were to try to rebuild an EV, it would be a very difficult job, in my opinion, because the batteries themselves, once the fire starts, they can act as an actual accelerant to the fire or fuel for the fire and create the fire to burn for even longer, which is why modern fire departments are coming up with new methods of how to fight the fires when an electric vehicle catches fire. So it's called an EV, right? Yeah. EV is an abbreviation for electric vehicle. When you said EV, I thought you meant the Pokemon type. <laughs> nope, I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable with Pokemon, so... <laughs> if a car was parked in a building and the building was breaking down, would the car still survive and, like, if everything collapsed on top of it... If it was an old car back then, would it have survived? There is potential that the car could survive because if we're going to look at, say, you know, the older vehicles like the 1950s, 1960s vehicles, heavier metals or even prior ones to that, a lot of the buildings during that time were made from wood. So some of the wood, as it gets older and gets rotted, it'll be less dense. So it falling on the car could potentially like create some dents and things. But I have seen what people consider like barn finds or field finds and stuff like that, where 
buildings and stuff have collapsed onto them and they were able to restore them. And I've even seen pictures of field finds where vehicle be sitting there and a tree grows up through its hood or something. Could modern day cars survive it? Some possibly could, depending on, like I said, the type of building. There's a lot of modern buildings now that are built with steel and other metal components. So I would say if it was like the building I plan to put, it's going to be a steel I-beam building. If it were to collapse, I don't think even the older vehicles would hold up very well to that because of the density of the steel and the weight of it. But it is possible if a newer car were in one of the older wooden buildings and it were to fall, it could potentially be salvageable. Okay, thank you for that answer to that very hard question I couldn't even find out. (laughs) Here's the last question I will be asking you. All right. Are there self-driving cars yet? That's a bit of a tricky question because (laughs) some ways, yes, but it requires certain parameters for them to work. On general highways and roads right now, no, because there's not infrastructure in place to give the proper sensing and for the vehicles. It's a technology they are working on. Hopefully we will eventually get there because when I was your age, and I would watch movies and TV shows and stuff. They had self-driving cars and stuff by the year 2020. We're past 2020. We still don't exactly have that. But even the Jetsons showed us like flying cars and stuff. That's something people work on as well, but we don't yet have them. But hopefully by the time you're my age, you'll see that. In the year 2049. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask if my dad would want to try to answer one of these questions. Sure, bud. What do you got for me? I'm letting Mr. Dan watch you see if you're smarter than a third grader. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Can steering wheels, like, get dented? If you're driving and you get into a car accident, can the steering wheel get very badly damaged and bent? That's a question I want to know. Well... It really depends on the type of accident. In the old days, there were many steering wheels that were made from different materials, namely, let's say, wood, lighter metals, things like that. So they don't have the same safety ratings that modern pieces do, which means they were more prone to breaking and bending, denting, things like that, based on the type of accident. The cars themselves weren't nearly as safe as they are today. Steering wheels today have airbags in them to try to protect you from hitting them with your body, which was one of the causes of them bending or breaking was the weight of your body and the force of your body hitting those steering wheels in an accident. Is it likely that a steering wheel today would dent or bend? Probably not. It'd have to be pretty extreme for something like that to happen. It'd be a pretty nasty accident. So in the old days, yes. Today, not so much. Got it. Thank you for answering that question. You don't have any more? That's it? Just 10? 11. I had 11, but you answered the bonus 11 question. So what if we asked you a couple questions? What if we turn the tables here and have Mr. Dan ask you some questions? Oh, okay. I know nothing about the subject. I'll try to think of something pretty simple. Let's see. Okay, what is your favorite car? I don't really know the different types of cars, so I don't really know which one to choose. But I would probably say the same type of car that my mom's car is. Like, don't know what type that is. Are we talking about the spaceship van? What? 
You want a spaceship van? It's a minivan. I know, but it sounds like a spaceship when it's running off the battery portion and not the engine, since it's a hybrid. Are well, you I'm just going to have to go with it. Speaking of your mom's van, how's this? That is considered a hybrid. Do you understand what that means when they talk about cars? Because we've spoken about internal combustion. Like and- it's an electric car because it runs on electricity. Yep. It also has a gas engine, which is what makes it hybrid. So it can run on both depending on the situation. And it allows you to have the reliability of the internal combustion engine if your batteries go dead. Okay. You answered a question and I also answered a question for you. So Cleo, you've been coming to the racetrack since you were a baby. <laughs> what, what do you think of that experience? What's it like at the racetrack? So first off, I like it because I get to see like who's the winner at the track and stuff. And I also get to see like friends and family and stuff. But my favorite part is actually hearing the noises because it's fun, like hearing the different car sounds, trying to memorize which sound is which when it comes past you. So I really like enjoying that. And I like memorizing the different cars that pass by, like, oh, there's a green car. Oh, there's a pink one. Oh, there comes the green car again. Very nice. (laughs) Can you pick out Mr. Dan's car when he's out there on track or daddy's car? I haven't been to the track in a while, so I don't really remember. But I feel like my dad's is black (laughs) (laughs) because they're kind of black. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) You can always look out in the garage. Then you would know what your dad's car looks like. The one in the garage or outside of it? Well, depending on where he has them parked for the day. Because he has so many cars. How do I know which one is which? I think he's got rookie numbers. He's got to increase those numbers. He's got to get up to the amount of cars that I got here at my place. Is it the one with like the Voltron symbol on it? One of them does have that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's black. (laughs) But I do not remember what your race car looks like, Mr. Dan. Well, it's been a while since you've seen it. It's got a lot more stickers and decals on it now than when you saw it last. So hopefully Ah. you'll make it out to one of our upcoming events and see it again. What's the easiest way to remember a car as it goes by on the track? Do you know? No. I just figure out its colors and what sounds it makes. Uh, And try to memorize the label on the front of the car. Because every car has like this different label saying which brand it's from. Very true. Which brands do you know, Cleo? I forget. All I do is look at the logo. I don't even read the words. I'm just like, oh, there's the logo. So what's the logo? What's the logo look like on mommy's car? So I feel like it has like this oval shape thing. It does. Does it look like wings? (laughs) What? You've You've never noticed? No. Next time you look at the van. Pay attention. It looks like wings. They look like what bird wings, basically. I don't know why. The Chrysler logo is bird wings, but whatever. <laughs> that makes no sense. Real quick back on the way of identifying cars on track, Cleo, is as they go by, most tracks have a rule where you have to have a number on the side of the car. So example, Mr. Judd in the club and I had the same color car. So without the numbers on the side, it would be difficult to tell which of us was going by. Because Which number do numbers. you have? 
So on the Volkswagen, it's 808. Is that my dad's car? Who are you? Well, your dad has two Volkswagens or well, a Volkswagen and a semi-Volkswagen on the other since it's Volkswagen powertrain. So how many Volkswagens does my dad even have? Not going to get into that here. <laughs> That's an episode for another day. It's like six or seven. In parts, yes. That's for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Mr. Dan, would you like to ask me another question? All right. I know this past summer, we went to a little outing out near your house, and we got to see something other than race cars. Do you remember what type of vehicles that was that we saw? Go-karts. They were a little bit bigger than go-karts. They were really noisy. Monster trucks. Yep. So how did you like the monster trucks? I really liked that. They were so colorful and they did like flips and stuff. And I really liked it. I'm going to throw this out there. Anytime you have any curious ideas regarding cars and stuff like that, I know your father is more than willing to answer those questions as well as <laughs> for helping out. Feel free to come out and we'll even put a wrench in your hand and let you turn some wrenches with us. Seriously? Sure. I'm going to get I'm, to fix the car. I'm sure your father might prefer to be one of my cars, but we can make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> you you're, you're never too early to learn, right? You're never too early to, you know, change the motor oil on something. Then you have to teach me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, folks, that was an interesting round of questioning for Mountain Man Dan. And I, the more I think about this, the more it makes me wonder what we were like as kids. You know, what kind of questions did we have? I know we spent a lot of time in the garage under the hoods of cars. And it does remind me of something very, very important, which is make your kids part of your life, especially if you're in the motorsports community, because they are the future. They are what's keeping this going in the year 2049, when hopefully there still are race cars and organizations out there that allow them to go explore, drive, enjoy all the things that we've come to know to be normal in our corners and disciplines of the motorsport world. So Cleo, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and asking us some really tough questions and getting to know cars a little bit better and hopefully we'll see you at trackside this year you are very welcome and i'd like to throw in a little additional tidbit for the listeners out there when it comes to bringing the children involved into our sports and stuff for myself as a kid math initially was one of my weak points and fractions were the death of me as a child and if you bring a child into the garage and you've got your standard sockets sitting there, seeing the numbers and actually being able to correlate the numbers to a physical size, that is what allowed me to learn my fractions as a kid. Children, Cleo's age and even younger, they're learning fractions. In my opinion, that's a great way to have your kid involved with what you're doing and learning at the same time. All right, Cleo. Well, if you're done, we can let you go. It's almost bedtime anyway. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Pleasure to see you, Cleo. Pleasure to see you, too. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey everybody, Crew Chief Eric here. 
We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.